Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Look forward to getting to know. Uh, but I, Diane and I have been uh, praying for Rock Hill and involved with you guys um, from a distance, perhaps, but at times, but uh, very aware of what God is doing in your midst. And so it's a real privilege for me to be with you this morning. Uh, Diane and I just got back from, um, from a road trip vacation. I hate road trips, but God is working on me and I'm beginning to enjoy and love road trips. Uh, we just took 3,700 mile road trip. That's a long stinking ways. And um, so, uh, but it was a great time. We just got back a couple of uh, nights ago, and so got two good nights in my bed, and uh, so we're ready to go again. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to grab one of these stands. Is that okay? Um, Jim had called me um, several days ago while we were on vacation and said, hey, can uh, I've got to make this trip. Uh, and and take care of some things with his mom. Can you come and speak? I was like, sure. <laughs> you know, uh, for Jim, I would do almost anything. <laughs> and um, uh, he asked me to speak from this passage of scripture out of John eight. Um, and I think that you guys have been walking through uh, through John a bit. And uh, and so this uh, I think is is really kind of the next passage that, uh, that your walk through John would lead us to. We're going to look at John 8, verses 36 to 47. Um, I'm just going to read this. Um, I think it may be up on the slide in really small print. But, uh, but it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and what you're doing, uh, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. What you are doing are the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father that we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? 
Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is alive and active. It is is, uh, life for us and direction for us, and and it is clarity of uh, a revelation of who you are and what you are doing in us and in our midst and what you have been doing from the very beginning and are still doing to this day. Father, your word is true. Father, we thank you for the ability to gather and worship and and to hear from you and to learn from you. And Father, I ask now in these minutes that you would speak. Speak from your word. And Father, speak through me in a way that people can hear you and know how to respond to you. Father, may the words that I say be exactly what you want said in the ways that you want them said so that we can respond to you in faith and trust and live our lives as men and women who demonstrate the presence of Christ in our world today. So, Father, be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the basis of any relationship is communication. Um, If you don't talk to one another, it's really hard to have a relationship. Um, Like I said, Diana and I had been on, uh, just returned from this two-week road trip, and we drove 3,700 miles through eight different states, from Kansas City through the Smoky Mountains, on our way to Asheville, then down south to Tampa, where where I have my my parents live, and I have a brother and his family that live there. So we went down to Tampa, spent a few days with them, and then began to make our way back home over two weeks. That is a lot of windshield time uh, for Diane and I. Uh, We really enjoyed it, but we talked a lot. We talked about all kinds of things. Uh, We talked about what we were seeing and what we were experiencing and just the beauty of, of God's nature as we drove through the Smoky Mountains and seeing all the colors of the trees. Uh, We talked about about our relationship. We talked about our lives and just where we're at and how we sense God was was working and and things that we were wanting to do in our own lives. We talked about our family. We talked about our kids. We talked about our parents. We talked about ministry. We talked about churches. We talked about all kinds of things. We talked for 3,700 miles, so I've got 3,700 miles of words used up. So this might be a short message. (laughs) Anyway, words are really important, and communication is essential in the foundation of any relationship. We know that. Um, If we don't talk to one another, um, it's really hard to know what is important to one another, what's going on in somebody's life. And how we fit into, the, into that relationship. Who are we in the midst of that? It's important that we talk. And Jesus is talking here to some religious leaders. Uh, people who were in a positional relationship with God. Uh, they believed the right things. Uh, they did the right things. But they didn't really know God personally. 
Um, they, they didn't see God as their father. Abraham was their father, and he was dead. No one's going to be talking to Abraham. Um, they couldn't have a relationship with Abraham. They could recognize him. Um, they could remember him. They could regard him as an important figure in their history, in their culture, in their faith story. But they couldn't talk to him and know him. Their engagement with Abraham was, was an ancestral relationship supported by Scripture, the law of Moses. Um, but they didn't live like Abraham lived anymore. Um, who, Abraham was a man who, who listened to God's voice, a God who he had never seen, he had never heard of before until God revealed himself to him in an extraordinary way. It says in Genesis 12, 1 to 6, that the Lord said to Abraham, Abram at that point, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and all the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's a big stinking deal. If I'm 75 years old, and I heard from a God that I had never really experienced before, but this God revealed himself in some extraordinary way in that, in that moment or in that period of time, and told me to pick up everything and move to a place that you don't know about, but I'll show you as you go. Um, don't you think that's kind of a big deal? I do. That's a huge step of faith to leave the comfort and the, the, the knownness of everything around his life. Abraham listened to God. God's directions, and he followed him to a land that he didn't know. And over the course of Abram's life, from the time he was 75 years old to the time that he died when he was about 175 years old, I don't know about that. Well, that's for another day. But when he died, the Lord spoke to him only nine recorded times. Nine times. Now, he may have spoken to him multiple other times, but there are nine times that are recorded in Scripture that God had an encounter, an interaction, a conversation with Abram. But it was enough to guide his life, to lead him to where he wanted to be. Uh, God spoke to Abraham as a revelation to give him vision for his life and direction to his steps. Then after a battle, the Lord spoke to him as a priest and a king to bless him and to be blessed by him. Then the Lord revealed himself to Abraham and established a covenant relationship with him and gave, to give him hope. Then the Lord spoke to Abraham to confirm and change him, even changing his name in that process, and to set him apart 
set him and his lineage apart through circumcision. The Lord spoke to Abraham as three men to teach him about his heart for the people and his hatred for sin. God spoke to Abraham through an angel to test him and to prove his faith was in God's promises and not in his circumstances. God spoke to Abraham to reveal himself and his ways to Abraham and to set him apart and to change him into a man who would trust God and follow his lead, regardless of what he saw or what others would say. It was Abraham's faith that would profoundly affect others. Sarah, his wife, Lot, his children, countless others, his servants, Many people were affected and impacted by Abraham's life and faith. Uh, This is the Abraham that the religious leaders were identifying with, but only by lineage, Uh, but not by lifestyle. They were not listening and responding to God like Abraham did, and Jesus was challenging them in this. There are questions today that people deal with, that followers of Jesus are asking whether or not regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill Christians can hear from God today. It's a great question. Can Christians hear from God themselves? Does God actually speak to people today, and how does that happen? What does that look like for someone Well, in this passage, Jesus is saying, we certainly can and we must hear from God. Communicating with God is the basis of a relationship with him. And it's the way that we trust him. It's the way that we follow him. It's the way that he impacts our lives is because he is speaking into our lives in various ways. Isn't that the point of prayer? To be able to speak to God and let God speak to us in our life? Isn't that the point of what we do in prayer? Isn't that why we fast? Isn't that why we use various spiritual disciplines in our life? So that we can have encounters with God that are fresh and dynamic and real and poignant and poignant in the moment. To give us hope, to give us direction, to give us help, to give us a sense of presence. I've heard from God multiple times in my life. I wouldn't say that God speaks to me every day, but every time is a gift. And it is a time of his choosing. Um, I've never heard an audible voice, but when he speaks, I've known it was him. He speaks when he wants to speak, and so I and others can know him better and follow, follow his ways. Every time is different, like it was with Abraham, though his followers, he follows clear patterns um, of his character, and it is always consistent with his word. He is never going to speak in ways that are going to contradict his word. He is not going to give you or I new revelation of his word. He has given us all that he wants of his word. And it is sufficient. 
but it may help us understand his word, apply his word, bring his word to life in our lives, in our day, in our circumstances. Because his word is alive and active, it says in Hebrews. There was a time when we, when Diane and I were in Fort Worth, and I was going to seminary, and we were anticipating our next steps. All of us have been in situations where we want to know what's next for us. What's the next step I need? Where's the next move? What's the next opportunity? What's the next thing that we need to do? We'd gone there with a very clear sense of his calling towards a church planting. And our hands were very open to his, his leading. When God called Abraham, his heart was open to, to God leading his life. The way Diana and I have talked about it multiple times is that, is that we work to put our mind and our heart into neutral so that we're ready and willing to move wherever, whenever, however. Um, many people want God to speak to them on these terms or their terms. Um, they want him to speak to their own desires, to send me anywhere but not there. Um, let me do anything but uh, not that. Um, let me engage with anybody in the world but not them. That's not the way God speaks. He needs open hearts and minds and open lives that will follow him wherever, even if we have to engage in places or people or circumstances that that may cause us to be uncomfortable or we don't like. He, it's not that he's an, a, a mean guy or God. He is trying to reveal himself to us and shape us into his people. And he'll use whatever circumstances are necessary to help that become reality. God doesn't seem to speak to bless or fulfill or even refine our ideas or dreams or visions or beliefs. But he speaks to reveal himself and to give us a glimpse of his glory, to send us and to change us and to impact others. If you want to hear from God, I would encourage you to begin by letting, getting your heart and your mind into a neutral and ready position, ready to obey him, ready to trust him, because it will require all of that that you have and more. To hear God speak, you will need to learn to distinguish his voice from all the other voices that are going on around you. And believe me, we know that today there are lots of voices going on around us. Not to mention all the other voices that are going on inside of our heads. There are lots of voices that are telling us and shouting at us at times and whispering to us and wooing us and challenging us to do this, that, or the other thing. Believe this, that, or the other thing. Approve of this, uh, uh, support this, affirm this. So we know that there are all these voices going on around us and we've got to be able to distinguish all of those voices from God's voice. You've got to know when God has spoken. 
if you're willing to respond to him? Or are you going to respond to all the other voices? So we have to learn how to distinguish his voice from all the others. To know when God speaks, you must know what to listen for. And it will likely take a good deal of time. It will likely take a good deal of time. Um, there's a story from 1 Kings 19 uh, about a prophet named Elijah. Um, Elijah found himself at the end of his strength. Uh, two leaders of his day, uh, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, were out, were out to get him. They were chasing him down literally to kill him. Um, Ahab had been speaking God's word and calling people to trust him and to obey him. And that was contradictory to the prevalent uh, political rulers of the day. And, and so Ahab finds himself hiding in a cave. And you can read about this story in, in Acts 19. Um, the Lord had told him, go to this mountain, go to this place, and I will speak to you. And so he did. First, he sent a really powerful wind. It shattered all the rocks. It was knocking things around. And, and, and Elijah knew that wasn't the voice of God. And then he sent a powerful earthquake, and things were shaking and moving, and that wasn't God. God wasn't in that. And then he sent fire, and he, he, God burned up everything that had, was still standing. But God was not in that voice as well. And then he sent a gentle breeze, a whisper. And Elijah knew, that's God. Why? Because it was, it was soft and humble? No, it had nothing to do with the circumstances, but had everything to do with Elijah knowing the voice of God. And if it was in the wind, or if it was in the earthquake, or if it was in the fire, he would have known that that was God getting ready to speak. It wasn't in the circumstances, or the humility, or the smallness of it, or the whisperness of it. It was the sense that Elijah knew God's voice. And when, Elijah, when God spoke, Elijah knew it. And he could respond to him. And it says in, Acts, or in, in 1 Kings 19, 13, when Elijah heard it, he pulled the cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah knew the voice of God and what, he knew what God's voice was and he knew what God's voice was not. When God speaks, he, he wants you to discern his voice and if you belong to him, you cannot help but know it. Jesus says in John 10 that my sheep follow him because they know his voice. They do not recognize a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Sometimes that shepherd may shout at those sheep. Sometimes that shepherd may woo those sheep. Sometimes those shepherd may not say a word and lead by his hand. Sometimes that shepherd may whisper to his sheep. The sheep always know. 
the shepherd is speaking. And in the same way, when God speaks to you, you will know it. You will know it. If God has placed his spirit within you, God himself will speak and reveal himself to you, and you will know it, even if he must repeat himself, as he did with Samuel when Samuel was a boy. The Lord called to Samuel three times. And finally Samuel figured out it was God speaking to him. God will repeat himself. God will do what he needs to do because he wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to know him. This isn't a wandering shot deal. This is a relationship that he has with us and he wants us to have with him so we can hear from him. Let me tell you um, about one of the stories when, when God gave Diane and I some direction. Like I said, we were, we were in Fort Worth, and we were attending seminary. I was attending seminary at the time. Diana was taking care of our kids and working, and it was an incredibly challenging time. But we were considering what our next steps were, and for a while we thought we might do some church planting overseas. Um, we had got, had some great experiences um, through, throughout areas of, of Asia, and we thought that perhaps that might be where God would be leading us to go there. And so we had began to pursue some of those opportunities and think about that and talk about it. And, um, and we, we had decided we really, we could make some things happen, but we were on a pretty compressed schedule, and so we just really needed to pray and ask God, is this, is this the direction you want us to go? And so we had been praying. God, where do you want us to go? Well, one Sunday evening, Dinah had taken our kids to Awana, the Awana program at church, and I was at home um, studying, which is what I did a lot. I was working on a particular project, and I was studying in Ezekiel um, for, for this project, and it seemed in that moment that, that God just said, I want you to go to the beginning of this book. I have something there for you. So I just flipped back to one one and started reading. By the time I got through the third chapter, I was on my knees, literally. I, I just, I was overcome. I knew God was speaking to me similarly to the way he spoke to the prophet in that time. But this was, this was not like just a, a regular time of reading God's word. God was, was bringing this word to life in a way that, that you know some, God is up to something here. And in Ezekiel 3, particularly in verses 4 to 9, he said, Go now to a people of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of, of difficult speech or obscure speech and strange language, but to, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech or strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all of the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. The version that I was reading at the time, they were hard-hearted and had have ignored me. They and their fathers before them have ignored me. And I am sending you to the hard-hearted Israelites. And I will make your forehead as hard as flint, harder than steel, he says. 
So do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. Well, that's a word from the Lord that you may not always want to get every day. (laughs) I was overwhelmed. Diana came home. I, I shared with her what had happened, and we prayed together, and we decided, okay, well, we're not going overseas. We're not going to a people of difficult speech or foreign language. We're going to stay among the hard-hearted Israelites, so we're going to stay somewhere in the States. They're probably not so hard to find. I know a few. And we thought that was the answer to our prayer. Well, a couple weeks later, um, I was on campus. I had gone to a chapel service that morning, and um, Henry Blackaby was there, and he, he spoke about worship, and it was just a, an incredibly powerful time. I was really challenged and moved. And, and then after chapel, I had a class. It was my preaching class, and it had been canceled that day um, for us to, to work on a project. Uh, but instead of doing something smart, like going to the library to study, um, I decided I really needed to spend some more time with the Lord. So I went to this little prayer chapel that they had on campus. I went in there. I was, I was really glad to see no one else was in there, which is unfortunately not an uncommon experience. But that's another thing. Um, so I just began to, to sit and pray and talk to the Lord, and I just became overwhelmed um, just by his presence by the things I'd heard, by the sense of, of being with the Lord and that I could worship him. And God began to reveal to me in that time just some things of what it was going to, for me personally, to cost, what it was going to cost me to follow him and to do what he was calling me to do. And then at the end of that prayer time, I, I sensed the Lord saying, now I want you to go and talk to this particular professor. Well, it happened to be the professor that had canceled class that morning, my preaching professor. And I really didn't want to go talk to him. I didn't like the guy. (laughs) I just didn't like him. It's not that he was a bad guy. He'll be in heaven and all of that. (laughs) But I just didn't really care for him personally. He's not someone that I would have naturally, normally sought counsel from. I wouldn't have gone to him normally. But because I knew God's voice, And he's saying, go and talk to this guy. I go. So I go to his office. I knock on his door, tell him who I am. Yeah, you know, he recognized me. I was one of his students. He said, I I told him, I just have had this incredible prayer time, and the Lord has told me to come and talk to you. Well, anytime a seminary professor hears a student say something like that, they're going to let you into their office and sit down and say, well, what's going on? And that's what he did. And in the course of that, I realized he didn't really know me. I mean, I was just another student. And so I told him a little bit about me. I told him about my heart, my interest in church planting. And when I said that, he said, have you ever thought about going to Canada? I said, no. Um, I said, actually, my wife and I had been praying about different places in Asia. But God has spoken about that. And I told him about Ezekiel and that, that whole experience. And when I finished telling him about Ezekiel... He said, I want to share something with you that I haven't shared with any of my other students. He said, actually, I've only shared this with my wife and a couple of close colleagues. But five years previously, a student of his had been in Vancouver and had come back and told him how beautiful it was there, and yet how hard-hearted the people had become towards Christ and the church. 
And God had placed this city upon his heart five years ago, and he's been praying for this city. He said, every day, asking the Lord to use me to send someone there to start churches and to share the gospel. And he says, as you've been talking, he said, I just really sensed in my spirit, the Holy Spirit challenging me to encourage you to consider going to Vancouver to start a church. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that was the first time Vancouver had ever shown up on our radar screen. So I went home and I told Diana about it and we prayed together. Then we got a map out to see where Vancouver was. And that was it. I mean, I'm not packing a bag over that. Well, a couple of weeks later, I was on campus. I was having coffee early in the morning um, because I had, we, fortunately, we found some coffee early in the morning because I was having a 7 a.m. Hebrew class. That is a joy, folks. <laughs> and so I was trying to pull my life together and wake myself up. And, uh, and we were just chatting and uh, he was telling me about growing up in Vancouver. I said, oh, that's really interesting. I said, um, I've been thinking about Vancouver lately. So I told him everything that had happened up until that point in time. He says, well, you know, he said, I actually, I have, a, I have a brother who is still pastoring in Vancouver. You really need to get a hold of him. So we exchanged emails, and so I began to have this conversation. And some of that email got forwarded to another man who lived in Vancouver, who was a church planning consultant. His name was Jim Graham. Jim contacted me and, and wanted a, a ministry bio, so I sent him up a little stuff about us and where we'd been and such. And he emailed back really quickly. If you knew Jim, that was a miracle. And he said, you know, his, his wife Becky and he had been praying for five years that God would send someone to Vancouver out of this particular group of churches that we were a part of to, to share the gospel and start churches. Well, that's interesting. So then um, a few weeks later, Jim contacted me. He was coming down to Fort Worth to go to some meetings and wanted to know if he could stay with us, so we did. And we began to get to know. He was staying with us for a number of days, and we got to know one another. And then in the course of time, he invited Diane and I to go up to Vancouver for a visit. Great. Sounds like a good next step. So we make plans, and we were actually going to go and be part of a church planting assessment process. It was a multi-denominational assessment for all, a number of churches, Mennonite churches, um, Brethren churches, Baptist churches. If you know Vancouver, they all work together and like one another up there. And, um, and so they were having this church planting assessment that we wanted to be part of. And we'd already been a part of several church planting assessments. I was like, sure, what's another one? And so, um, so we make plans. We've got airline tickets. As just a day after I get airline tickets bought, I get a phone call from Jim. He says, hey, I've got some bad news. He said, we've actually, we've had to cancel the assessment that you're coming up for. He said, there weren't enough church planters in any denomination across the entire region for us to hold the assessment. So we've had to cancel the assessment. I said, well, I've already bought tickets, so we're going to go up there. And so we did, and we spent a week praying and traveling through the city and getting to know the city. And, and it was on that trip then that we may not be the smartest people on earth, but we can put two and two together and see God's hand working in a way that is consistent with the way he'd already spoken 
consistent in the way that his word had directed, consistent with the way that people have been praying, consistent in the way that circumstances were working themselves out. And so we made a commitment then to go there to plant a church. Now, by that time, when we made that commitment, I just need to give you a brief bit of my background. I'd been in business, but I had never pastored before. I'd never been on church staff before. I'd preached about three sermons in my life, two of which were funerals. So I was thoroughly, fully equipped to go do this thing that we were about to go do. I didn't have a clue. <laughs> not, a re- not any kind of a clue. But because, because God had spoken, because God had called, because God had moved, we made a commitment to move there to try to start a church. When we made that commitment, we didn't know where we would live. We didn't know where our three kids were going to go to school. We didn't know where we were going to have any money to pay for us to live there, which it takes a lot (laughs) of that to live there. There was a lot of things that we didn't know, but the thing that we did know is that God had spoken. And because God spoke, we were ready to move. Well, speaking of moving, they, some movers had been arranged to come and pack us up and to move us from Fort Worth to Vancouver, because that's kind of like a long ways away. And so the, the movers were at our house, or the, the packers had come, and they were packing stuff up, and they, they came in to our bedroom where Diane and I were at, and they said, um, we, we have questions. Are we packing this to go into storage or into a house? I guess it matters. And I turned around and I looked at Diana and she was crying and she said, it is not unreasonable for me to know where my family will live in two weeks. (laughs) I said, you're right, babe. And I held her and we cried together and I said, pack it however you want to pack it. I don't care. Well, then the next day the, the truck driver came. He says, okay, we've got all this stuff loaded up. We had like three-fourths of an 18-wheel truck full of our junk. We do not travel light. <laughs> and so, so we had, he, was, he said, we're ready to go. Where am I taking this? And, uh, well, we'd had people looking for a house for us up there, uh, but they hadn't found one. And so I said, well, um, Vancouver. He said, um, I need something just a little bit more specific than that. I said, I wish I had it to give you. He said, okay. Well, um, I'm going to drive. It'll take me three days. Um, if you hear something, let me know. And we exchanged cell phone numbers. And he said, if I don't hear something from you, when I get there, this is all going to go into bonded storage. Well, all that means is a lot more money. And I said, okay, sure. And I remember standing out in the middle of the street, watching this big wheel, this big truck move away with every stitch of stuff that we had, thinking, what in the world am I doing? And where will we see this stuff again? Because I had no idea. The only thing we knew for sure is that God had spoke. And we were moving. 
Well, not all of our stories of God speaking are quite so dramatic. But some are. If you know anything about our lives, God has spoken in some other ways as well. Uh, but sometimes they're quite quiet and every bit as challenging. Sometimes they're not as significant and dramatic, but they're every bit as important to my relationship with the Lord. Because you see, he's more interested in helping us know him and shape us to look and act more like him. Because he knows better than we know that we need some shaping to look and act more like him. None of us are the complete package. None of us were born sanctified. None of us were born to look and act like children of God. But he wants us to know him, and by knowing him, he will make us into his people. And he will use whatever he needs to or wants to do in order to make that happen. Following God's lead when he speaks to us will always require us to trust him. That is a big word today, trust. We don't trust a lot of people. We don't trust in a lot of things, organizations, systems. Things fail us. People fail us. Governments fail us. Societies fail us. Schools fail us. Families can fail us. We don't trust in a lot of things, and God is calling us to trust him. The God that you or I have never seen, never been like standing face to face with, like Abraham wasn't either, and everyone who has walked with him since, he's calling us to trust him. And he will call us to bigger and greater things beyond where we're at, or even could imagine being. I would never have dreamed in my wildest dreams, one, when I was in business, that I would actually go into ministry, and then I would move my family to Vancouver to start a church in a place that really didn't want churches. I never dreamed that. I would never have orchestrated that. But God used us and used that situation to change us and to change a lot of people's lives. <coughs> the religious leaders of John 8 wanted life with God to be nice and neat, all tidied up and predictable. And when it wasn't like that, um, it made them very uncomfortable. So much so that they wanted to get rid of Jesus by any means necessary. He was claiming to be someone great, maybe even directly connected with God himself. He claimed that God was his father. And that didn't make sense to them. And so he was a clear threat to their controlled way of knowing God and the God that they wanted to know. Jesus, however, made it very clear that he was the way to know God. Having a relationship with him was the foundation for knowing God. Jesus says in John 8, whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. 
The point of this message is, is that it is entirely possible to hear God's voice through Christ and through God's word and through prayer and through godly people and through the church and through circumstances, you can know God's voice and respond to him. It will always require us to trust him and to respond to him in obedient faith that will result in us experiencing a life that is far greater than we could ever have dreamed on our own. It may not be easy or predictable, but it will be exponentially spiritually satisfying. Like Abraham, there will always be a reason to not trust him. Like being too old, or being too risky, or costly, or whatever, but if you do, you will see God do things through you that you could never have dreamed possible. That's my prayer for your church. Is that Rock Hill will see God do things in your midst that you never dreamed possible. And he will do it. Trust him. Listen to him. Follow his lead. It will be risky at times. It will be costly at times. It will be frustrating at times. It will be scary at times. It will be satisfying at times. It will bring joy at times. It will bring hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to us. Father, help us to not only hear you, your voice, but Father, give us a heart that is ready and willing to respond to you. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you. Father, may Christ continue to bless and lead this church, his body, that he has established in this place to do things that only he could do so that this community, so that Lawrence, so that the world might know Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.